Hi there, I'm Amanda Stevens, and welcome to the Epic Podcast, where I explore the minds of some of the planet's most epic entrepreneurs, business leaders, and visionaries to unearth their incredible stories, their journey to success, how they do what they do, and most importantly, why. My hope is that you'll find some inspiration in each episode, some new ideas, or perhaps just a little motivation to build an epic business and life. Well, hello, and welcome to episode one. This is exciting. Thanks for tuning in. I guarantee you will not regret it because today I talk to Di Williams, whose name you might not know, but you'll probably know the brand that she's built. Fernwood Fitness, a female-only chain of gyms, in fact, over 70 of them across Australia, and it's just celebrated its 30th birthday. How's that for an enduring brand? This is a great chat and Di shares not only how she's built the brand, but she shares some epic tips on how to build a franchise model. So if you've ever thought about that as a way of expanding your brand, then this is a great episode to tune into. And also, she talks about how people lodging formal complaints about your business could be one of the best things that happens to you. We've also got the epic Amelia Phillips, our resident exercise scientist and nutritionist. She's here today to share some epic health hacks with us. So this is the epic podcast. I hope you love it. Cue the epic music. Let's jump in. Di, welcome to the Epic Podcast. Oh, thank you, Amanda. It's um, it's nice to talk to you. Now, Di, your achievements in two of the most intensely competitive industries, being fitness and franchising, uh, are as enduring as they are epic. And this year, you are celebrating Fernwood's 30th birthday. So congratulations, firstly. Um, and secondly, did you ever imagine that this is where you'd be in 2019? Oh, it certainly wasn't, Amanda. When I first started Fernwood 30 years ago, I didn't even um, envisage it being um, a national company or even didn't really think of it as a business. I just started it because I saw a need for women to start exercising in the weights area of the gym rather than just doing aerobics, which happened back then 30 years ago. There weren't any women um, working out in the weights area and I got into weights and I was so impressed by the impact that weight training had on my body. You know, my metabolism improved, I changed shape, I lost weight, I felt good, I was all toned. I thought, why aren't more women doing this? So um, that got me thinking about, um, you know, why women were in in, uh, the group in aerobics instead of uh, doing weights. And obviously the weights areas of gyms back then was very much a male-dominated area. Um, and so I started up this little gym to um, see if other women felt the same way that I did. And I really didn't have much idea at that time that it was going to be as popular as it was. It, it really took off when I first opened. And um, so, yes, no, the, the furthest thing from my mind was that I'd be in business 30 years later and have a national chain and, um, you know, it's grown to the size that it has. 
It's just extraordinary. So take us back to 1989. You're living in Bendigo in rural Victoria, Australia, and you have an idea for this female-only gym uh, focusing on weight training. What next? Well, um, I went off and got myself qualified to be a gym instructor because at that time I was a a stay-at-home mum. I'd been uh, back back then. Most women didn't... um, didn't work after they got married. They stayed at home and raised their kids, and I was one of those. So I hadn't worked for many years, and I'd been a stay-at-home mum. My teenage, my children were teenagers, uh, and I joined the gym, and um, that's where I got the idea. So um, I went and got qualified as a as a gym instructor, and uh, opened up this little gym, which was in the back streets of Bendigo. It wasn't even a commercial building; it was actually an old school. Um, that was a, hadn't been used, it was, had been abandoned. So um, that's where the first uh, Fernwood was for the first six months until we, it was obvious that it needed to be a much better premises. So um, we found some, um, some a, a place to lease in the heart of Bendigo and uh, opened up a, a uh, proper gym then. And that was when I think I had to start being serious about the fact this was a business. All of a sudden I was paying serious rent and I had wages to pay and I had to learn a lot about running a business on the go, so to speak, because I, as I said, I'd been a stay-at-home mum. I really wasn't, didn't come from a corporate background or have any business experience. Amazing. And so you have, as you say, you've learnt on the go. Yeah. Thinking back to then, knowing if you knew then what you know now, would you have done things differently or you think that just learning on the go was yeah. was the best strategy? Well, look, I think I probably would have done things differently had I what I had I known then what I know now. But that's you can't. Unfortunately, we can't have hindsight, so that's just a bit of a a trade that doesn't happen. Um, I think I'm one of those people who just um, have an idea and and run with it. I'm not. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not an overly cautious person um, because otherwise I probably wouldn't have done it at all. I have to say, uh, after the first couple of years of running just the one gym and the decision to franchise um, came up and that's when I started to get a little bit nervous about, well, is this something that I can do? You know, am I able to do this? But I was a like a sponge as far as wanting to learn uh, all of the things there were in business that I needed to know. So I'd go to seminars and I read books and, um, you know, I got myself very much educated, um, you know, from learning from other business people and going to uh, conferences and that sort of thing. But the, I think the main main way of learning was actually just in the school of hard knocks, you know, that you, you just make decisions and sometimes they were right, sometimes they were they were great decisions and sometimes they weren't. And if they weren't, you just dust yourself off and pick yourself up and take a different direction. And um, it was basically, uh, I have to say, a lot of good luck as well as good management that, that we got through those early days when uh, it was a bit of a struggle in the early days. Mm, because there's obviously mm. quite a few... Uh, levels or, um, you know, I guess things that you had to jump to from, it's quite a big difference between one gym and what you have now, which is over 70 franchises nationwide, uh, nationwide. So talk us through the decision to franchise. At what point did you decide that this was a franchisable business? Because I'm assuming back then there were no gym or fitness franchises. Well, you know, it was quite funny really because, um, 
the fitness industry didn't have a very good name back then. Um, there were lots of gyms that were had gone broke, and mem- had, you know members had lost their membership money. Uh, they had a very bad reputation, and franchising had a bad reputation as well back then. So. I really was setting myself up <laughs> to make a very hard road for myself by doing franchising in fitness. But the reason I chose franchising was because when I used to go um, and run my one gym, uh, I was basically so um, obsessed with making sure every member got the very best service and the very best attention and all of the little bits of lint and everything on the carpet was picked up every day. And it was, it was all beautiful pristine facilities and it worried me to think if I was going to expand into other gyms in other cities how was I going to get the staff to be like me and be have that ownership mentality and um, that's pretty much um, you know obviously we're very fortunate in Fernwood to have some fabulous staff and they do have that ownership mentality but they're very rare but if you have a franchise and the owner is there and they have that same, you know, passion about making sure that their members are getting the best attention and, you know, there were times when members would cancel their membership and I would be so distraught the fact that I haven't done enough for why is that member not coming anymore, you know. Um, and so that was why I chose franchising, just because you've got that ownership uh, mentality and that passion for the customer and making sure that you're doing the very best that you can do and it would be a lot easier to expand in that way rather than, um, rather than, than you know, employing people in other cities and trying to manage them. Um, and, of course, the other thing is, of course, with um, the franchisees invest in the business. So, you know, it's, not, it's a different way of, of expanding, but it w- works really well for Fernwood. Mm. It has. What have you learnt about franchising and perhaps what what mm. have what has surprised you uh, or continues to surprise you about franchising both positive and negative? <laughs> okay. Um, well, we've had um, I suppose the first thing that I've learnt about franchising in the early days uh, when I decided to franchise, we hired a um, engaged a, a franchise consultant to come and um, teach me all about franchising and. Uh, and that was um, that was probably one of the most valuable things I did because there were things that I didn't know that you couldn't tell people that you were going to make money or you know you have you have you can't make promises that you can't deliver on you know so you can't give projections and that sort of thing so I knew all that from the start because there had been a lot of other franchise businesses that had got themselves into hot water because they had overpromised and underdelivered. Um, so that was uh, that was good that I had uh, that I learned that from the start. So I didn't get into that um, in, into that mess. But I think the thing that shocked me more than anything was um, I was expecting franchising to be like everybody of one big happy family, um, and we would all get on well together and work together. And of course, the reality is when it's in a franchise, it's not really like that. It, I tried not to, and I still try not to make it a them and us, but it is a little bit still them and us, you know, and um, my job is to make sure that the franchisees can be as profitable as they possibly can be, and the franchise job, uh, franchisee's job is to make sure their members can be as happy and get results. So, you know, it works really well. It's just I think the relationship is very difficult to manage sometimes when um, when you've got franchisees that are, um, you know, not not sort of, appreciating I suppose the the amount of effort that, that you put into it but um, 
that's just part and parcel of franchising. It's, it's a great model, and you know we have some fantastic franchisees, and um, and as you know, they're they're very passionate about the business, and and they're very supportive. So I think on the whole, we're we're, we're pretty fortunate in that area. Mm. Did you, as the brand grew? Did you face a bit of a backlash about having an all-female gym? Because it was really quite um, pioneering for its time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Well, that's right. When we had um, just not long after we'd franchised, um, we had an opportunity to open up a gym in um, in Altona, which was uh, a shopping centre there. And the shopping centre management came to us and asked if we wanted to take over a site in their shopping centre, and it had been had been a mixed gym, and um, we said yes, we'll do that. So we we went in over the weekend, and and that gym had been a, a mixed gym, and the, part of the deal was that we would take over all of the female members of that gym, and then the shopping centre would find a local mixed gym to take the men on, but they didn't do that. So when we opened up the doors, all these guys came to um, to come to their gym, which was no longer. It was now all pink. It was a firm <laughs> Yeah. And there was how to play. There, there was police and the <gasps> picket lines and protesters and um, it was, there were guys there threatening us and, um, you know, Altona is probably not one of the nicest um, areas of Melbourne. <laughs> and things got pretty rough and the police had to be called in and security, but... Um, uh, so we ended up having to go to the Equal Opportunities Commission and, and plead our case to get an exemption. We already had had an exemption, but it, it didn't matter. If somebody complained, you still have to go and before the Equal Opportunities Commission. Um, and we, we got the exemption, so that was fine. But actually, that was one of the um, one of the great things that happened to Fernwood because it was in the early days when we were trying to expand and, and grow the business and um, and... Nobody knew who Fernwood was. It was like just a two or three gyms, of, and um, people used to say, "What do you do?" and tell them about Fernwood, and they thought it was a nursery. Um, but because of this, it was in the papers, it was on television, it was in all of the newspapers, and for quite a while there, it was like the hot topic of conversation about whether women should have their own gyms. And so, all of a sudden, Fernwood became a household name overnight, which was really great and helped us. Um, you know, it was our expansion plan. So reverse sexism is an awesome PR strategy. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, they say no publicity is bad publicity, but it certainly was. I mean, we, it was um, not that you would really want to do that on purpose. but um, No, well, it's but interesting it's, because I do remember this and it was yeah. um, it was in the media solidly for quite a few weeks. So, I mean, w- w- you know, yeah. imagine quantifying <laughs> what that did for you from a brand exposure oh, point of view. Look- Amazing. Yeah, you couldn't buy it. You know, we even got into the script of neighbours. It was like it was everywhere. Everybody was talking about it, and you know, dinner party conversation. Of it's not right that you have a women's gym, and you know, um, so it was it was fantastic, um, good fortune for us as it turned out. Mm, absolutely, and some of that <laughs> debate I remember at the time was, you know, as a marketer, I had people in uh, my industry and friends and colleagues saying. Why would you cut out half your target market? I mean, I could understand 
um, the genius in it as someone who understood the power of marketing to women. But mm. you must have had a lot of people um, advising you against just having a female-only gym. How did you overcome that doubt, if it created any, and can you talk us sort of through the specialising? Yeah, well, it did. I had a, a lot of um, yeah, a lot of advisors, bankers, financial people, or um, even um, you know people in the franchising industry. But they said exactly that. Why on earth would you only market to half the population? But um, you know, and I just explained to them that that, that half that half of the population, there's an almost you know ninety percent of them wouldn't go to a mixed gym. And so, you know, I'm really targeting a niche market here. And, um, and so um, it was basically um, proven, um, up to me to prove it, I suppose, that it was a, that it was a good idea. Mm. Did you ever doubt it? Not really, no, because, you know, when I first opened the first Fernwood, it was so popular. Um, it was basically proved to... Myself, I didn't do any marketing for that. No, well, actually, I did. I sent letters out to the um, hairdressers in Bendigo and told them I was opening a, a women's gym. So that was my um, big launch of marketing, and that's all I did. The rest of it uh, happened through word of mouth, and um, and the members kept coming in, and they'd bring bring their friends, and you know, and then I'd have um, some members would bring their friends in, and their friends would say, "Gee." You know, I wish there was one of these where I live, you know, so that kind of got me on the idea of expansion. So basically the, the word of mouth and the popularity of, of the concept was proven by the members' feet, you know, they walked through the door. Mm. I love the fact that it was 1989 and you, Di Williams, is pioneering uh, influencer marketing, really, by writing to the hairdressers who we know have got the biggest mouths in town. I know, I know. It just, uh, it just wasn't social media then. <laughs> no, it was, well, it's, it was word of mouth then and it's word of mouth now that plays, well, plays the role. Well, that's right. And, and by um, putting letters in the mail to the hairdressers, <laughs> that's a sort of an influencer way of doing it, but um, a bit long-winded. This episode of the Epic Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Storage King. When you're building an epic business and life, sometimes you have to store some excess stuff. It could be furniture, retail stock, or even somewhere to house the epic ideas that you're going to have after listening to this show. If that's you, speak to the awesome kings and queens at Storage King. In fact, they have a special introductory offer for epic podcast listeners to get you started. Simply head over to storageking.com.au slash epic to learn all about it. So Di, being in the fitness industry, it's obviously one of those sectors that's dominated by fads and trends. And I know that you've, in 30 years, you've seen many come and go. How have you resisted the temptation to morph or manoeuvre the Fernwood brand to capitalise on those waves of fads and trends that move through the industry, particularly relating to diet? Yeah, look, I think think that's one of the reasons why we've been so successful for all of that time is the fact that we haven't gone swapped and changed and, and jumped around from one thing to another. We've stayed very true to what our core purpose is. We, we, we understand the need for women to work out with weights and, and you know, so 
what fernwood is it hasn't it's changed a lot but it hasn't really changed much at all over those 30 years it still has that same core principle um and we haven't tried to be like all the other different and like you say, the, the fads, they come and they go and, you know, sometimes our franchisees will get nervous and say, oh, there's this new new chain coming out and they're doing this and that. No, don't worry about them. We just focus on what we do and do that well um, and don't try to copy them. Just do better, be better at what we do. Um, but I think that, you know, especially not only diets but um, ex- different ways of people exercise but um, at the end of the day it's quite a simple formula it's what you how many calories you put in and how many calories you burn off and it, it, you know is how you get your results mm. although I have to say we, we have moved into the wellness uh, arena a lot more lately and we're moving moving more into that because obviously with the the whole world becoming so obsessed with social media and the internet and everything being so fast-paced, mental health is becoming quite a, a predominant um, problem. And um, so we see a need to put more focus on to just mind wellness rather as well as physical wellness. Mm. And I think that's the direction we'll be heading in the future. Yeah, it is a growth industry. I saw some statistics the other day that the rise of women, particularly mums, being on antidepressants is at record levels. Um, uh, yeah. And so is that, as you say, that's the, the health and the, the mindset and uh, yeah. overall wellness side of things is so much more important now. So is Fernwood moving into that more holistic approach? Yes, we are. We've had a um, we've been in partnership with the Deakin University uh, down here in Melbourne, and they put together a program for us, a wellness program, which is a six week program of um, uh, for it's not basically for people who are suffering from mental health; it's for everybody who are just feeling overwhelmed and and bit, have a bit of anxiety from time to time and and want to get a balance back in their life because everybody is so busy and there's so much competition. You know, with social media creating that doubt of, in our, you know, are we good enough? Are we, and the rest, you know, we're not as good as the people next door kind of thing. We just need to be able to get back to, you know, our core purpose of who we are as women. Um, and so that's a very strong um, program that we'll be, we're rolling it out. Um, we have been rolling it out in t- 2019 and 2020. It's going to go across nationally uh, that we have the uh, the whole wellness program. At the moment, we do Wellness Wednesdays in our club, so um, that's just a little introduction to introduce to members ways to just take time out for themselves and, um, uh, you know, and there's yoga and meditation and all those sorts of things that help people um, get back focused to themselves and um, take a little bit of time out for themselves. Mm, absolutely. And I, <clears throat> I'm assuming that... As a Fernwood member myself and, you know, I love going into the gym and having that not social aspect but you feel that you're part of something, it's quite a different experience to working out on your own, which a lot of people are doing now. We're seeing uh, entire online brands pop up. Uh, Kayla Itzini's, for example, is now the richest woman under the age of 50. She's built this entire um, Mm. online business that really appeals to people exercising on their own solo. How how are you really sort of pushing that advantage or that, um, I guess, benefit of of working out with other people and being part mm. of a community hub, if you like, which is really what the essence of what Fernwood offers. 
It is really. I think there's a, obviously there are some people who enjoy working out by themselves, but um, well, they they buy a program online, but whether they stick with it for the entire length of the program, um, or you know, they drop out pretty easily. I think you need to have um, friends around you and gym buddies to um, to to stick with it from time to time. But there are some people who prefer to work out on their own. You know, we have personal trainers for them, but um, we have a lot of group. Um, a group exercises, as you know, Amanda, in, in our clubs. You know, we have, and we have, um, you know, the, the HIT training 6.30, which is our high-intensity 30-minute um, training sessions, and we have a um, group exercise as well as our individual, um, you know, one-on-one personal training sessions. So there's something for everybody. But um, as you know, you you walk into a Fernwood and you just get that lovely community feel um, and... Uh, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why people, our members keep coming to the gym because of that. And they can interact with other members and, um, you know, there's a big need for that because it's a lonely world out there sometimes. So well, it's nice to come and exercise with other women. Mm. And your, the industry that you're in, Di, which is, it is super competitive um, and we know mm. that there are some big brands coming, you know, the 24-hour fitness um, yep. offer has changed things and we know that there are some big brands coming from the US that are going to change the face of, of the gym industry again, um, being mm. the super discount, low-cost models. Yeah. Yep. How are you going to stay the course um, with the brand and with the, a premium Offer mm. uh, in the, in what is going to be an even increasingly competitive sector that you're in. Yeah, look, I think that our members appreciate what we give them. Um, we're certainly not going to be starting to discount and devalue our product. You know, there's a there's a market for people who want to just achieve place where they can go and, and exercise by themselves or whatever without any attention and you know they don't mind if they don't have all of the, the little touches that we that we provide but um, as I said we're not we're certainly not going to turn around and become a discount gym, gym just to compete with them you know when when Fernwood first started there was a hardly a very small percentage of the market went to the gym any gym um, and our 30 years later almost everybody uh, does some form of exercise or another, and it's becoming a, a it's just a natural thing that everybody um, knows that they have to exercise. So the market, even though there's the, it's com- a competitive um, environment as far as how many choices people have, there are a lot more people exercising now than ever before, and that's growing. So um, I, I just, as I said before, my focus is making sure that we do what we do um, at at the very best it can be and um, and keep focusing on that, not trying to copy um, competition that comes in. What works in America doesn't always work in Australia mm-hmm. um, or anywhere else in the world. You know, we, we are different here and um, we've had seen a lot of cheap gyms come and we've seen a lot of cheap gyms go. So um, that's not really... Uh, something that I lose any sleep over. Mm, I love that. And your advice there really is just to stay in your lane and not be distracted by what your competitors are doing. Absolutely. That's right. I mean, it's good to know what's going on out there, but then you just do what you do better. Don't try to do what they do. Mm. Di, what 
In in your 30 years of business, and you've obviously been through a few yeah. economic cycles, your industry has transformed completely. What have been yeah. some of your most epic challenges? Um, well, we had a bit of an epic challenge back in the days of the GFC, I suppose. <laughs> there was a, you know, That was a struggle. There was a lot of nervous franchises, and that was a time when there was also a lot of um, new gyms come into the marketplace. So that was a time when... Uh, when I suppose it was a little bit nerve-wracking. We were at that point in time looking to expand overseas, but um, internationally. But when the GFC happened, we came back to Australia and started focusing back on making sure what we had in Australia was strong, which was a good thing to do. So we're looking perhaps at expanding internationally again now. But uh, look, I don't think there's been there's been challenges all along. I suppose in the early days, the challenge was having having enough money to pay the wages you know like any starting up business you know you, it's always a struggle a lot of people think oh well they're very successful and you know, overnight success but there's not too many overnight successes there's um that haven't had gone through the, the struggle of of trying to um get the get the cash flow to meet up with the expansion plans and uh, so that was the struggle in the early days but it's Nowadays, it's um, I've got a fantastic team of people um, that are working for Fernwood in our head office, and I've got a fantastic group of franchisees out there running their clubs. So um, things are pretty good. Mm. And you do have an extraordinary team around you. What would you say have been your biggest lessons around hiring the right people? Because yeah. that's I think the biggest chat, the biggest most epic challenge yeah. for any business owner at any level uh, is how do you yeah. find the right people? Absolutely. Look, it comes down to, I believe, the culture of the people. The, if, they don't, if they're not the right fit culturally, um, then don't hire them. Or if you do hire them and find they're, they're not the right fit, um, don't let them destroy the culture of the business. So they have to move on because... Once you've got the right culture within an organisation, it flows through, it has a ripple effect and it flows through the entire business. Um, everybody's working hard. Everybody's got the right focus on making sure um, that the business is successful, that the franchise is successful and that the members get the best results and everybody's got that in the back of their mind as to why they come to work every day. But if you've got somebody that comes into the organisation who's a me person, it's all about, you know, I and and what they want to do, then that just can have that you know, negative ripple effect and, and, and cause you know, damage to the culture. So I think the thing that I've learned is to make sure if you've got somebody there who is a bit of a, you know, an, a, an eye person and not a team player or somebody who's, who's sort of a bit of a backstabber or whatever, um, move them on. But uh, we've been very fortunate that the, I think the... Uh, I think the key is in the selection process. It's not just about the skills that they have. It's not just about their, you know, the, how they can talk themselves up. It's it's more about them as a person and what drives them and what what's their, you know, what's their um, work ethic and um, and you know, if you can get all of that out in an interview or a couple of interviews, you get the right people. Mm. And do you have a specific? Uh, strategy in the evaluation process to identify if someone is the right cultural fit because interviewing is hard as well. People can put on their best face and um, well, they can, and, mm. yeah. And you can't always ask the questions that I like to ask, you know, either these days. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I used to ask, you know, what, what do your parents do? Because that always gave me a, uh, you know, I could still find that out somehow. Oh, Di, you can't ask that now. You, you, yeah, it's all about, you've I got know, to watch your P's and Q's, don't you? Yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't ask questions, but you know, there's, there's more than one way to find out things like that. But, um, yeah, that gives you a bit of an indication of the work ethic or whatever of the people and, you know, but, yeah. Having to be politically correct in interviews sort of slows you down a bit yeah, <laughs> these yeah. days. You can do a lot of online uh, investigating though, can't you? <laughs> yes, you can. Or, or ask some rather obscure questions and end up with the result. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, what have been your most successful marketing strategies for Fernwood over the years? I mean, obviously having that um, stroke of luck from a PR perspective, having to go to the Equal yeah. Opportunities Commission, but you've had some other campaigns that have, have also made the news, haven't you? Yes, we have. We've had quite a bit of camp, um, a bit of PR with uh, of some of our rather edgy, edgy campaigns. When uh, I think the biggest one was um, when we had a, a big billboard campaign with no Toms, no Harrys, and no Dicks, and um, that that got the, that got a lot of publicity because it was um, people thought it was offensive to. We were talking about Tom, Dick and Harry, weren't yeah, we? We weren't course. talking about parts of the body, but um, people saw it the wrong way. And I think you should bring that yeah. campaign back, Di. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think really that appealed also to men more than women. And I thought, were we really, were we really attracting our members by that at all? We were just being funny, you know. Um, so I think marketing with marketing to women... Um, you kind of have to change with the, as the business changes. So that was basically saying we're a gym for women, right? Um, and I think everybody knows we're a gym for women now. So we have we do try different um, different marketing tacks now, but it was very funny and it certainly got us a lot of publicity. We also had a few others like these are the only balls you'll find at Fernwood and with the you know the fit balls and. Um, a few other edgy ones. We had Peter Hallier once doing some a skit for us on TV. Um, and Lisa Curry, you know, we had Lisa uh, as our ambassador for quite a few years in the early days. And I have to say that was a very, um, a very successful time when Lisa was um, our spokesperson. A lot of people thought that Lisa owned, owned Fernwood, which was fine by me. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, and yeah. you, you haven't had a celebrity ambassador for a while. Has that been a conscious decision? Yeah, well, look, I think we've, um, yeah, we've kind of, we've, we've got our own brand now and, you know, we're, we're standing on our own two feet. Back then, nobody knew who Fernwood was, so we needed a celebrity to cut through. Um, and Lisa was a perfect fit, um, you know, fit and healthy woman and everybody knew her and was well respected. But um, we kind of got to the point then when we, um, when we, we can stand on our own two feet, although... Um, recently, we've just engaged Taryn Brumfit. I don't know if you know Taryn. Um, it's a body image lady who um, promotes a healthy body yes. image. And um, so we've got, we're using her for our wellness um, launch to, um, to cut through into that area. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. So, die 30 years um, in business, which is an incredible mm. milestone. Has it given you an opportunity to reflect at all? Well, you know, I do actually. It does when when you get to a milestone like thirty years, you do sit back and think. You know, 
I really because most of the time when you when you're hard at it and you and you're driving the business, you don't sit and um, and take time to look back and reflect on what you've done and how far you've come. And and I think as women, um, we're not very good at patting ourselves on the back and saying, you know, look what I've done. You know, we tend to sit back in the back seat and say it wasn't me; it was everybody else. But you know, I have to say. I never expected to be in business for 30 years, um, and um, and I have to say I'm very um, very proud of, of, of what's been achieved. And you know, one of the um, one of the great things about uh, the fact that um, I've been around in business and been doing this for 30 years is, I've, you know, it's been great to be a role model uh, for young girls and you know women in business. When I first started, there were no role models. Um, most business business people were men, um, and so um, these days it's good to be able to to um, to put myself out there as a role model for other women, and um, and also our franchisees who are women, and they they in their own right are role models as well. So we're we're forming an army of role models for women in business, which is. Um, which is really uh, a very rewarding and um, humbling thing. Mm, absolutely. So what does the next 30 years hold for Fernwood, Di? Well, I think that it'll probably um, move into a more into the wellness space. Um, I, I think that, that um, the times for the big, big Fernwoods might be, we might be coming to smaller footprints as the population is... Um, you know, becoming more dense and there's getting to a fernwood might be, you know, in the future maybe smaller foot, footprint fernwoods. But um, it won't change that much. It'll just change as the market changed as it has over the last 30 years. But I think that uh, moving into the wellness space is probably um, going to be quite a big transition for fernwood and less of the rows and rows of cardio equipment and more of the um, yoga, meditation, um, Pilates um, and high-intensity uh, training. Mm, awesome. Well, Di, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to following the Fernwood journey for the next 30 years and thank you for being such an inspiring example for not only businesswomen but an inspiring example for all people in business on what it takes to build an enduring brand. We've loved having you on the show today. Thanks, Amanda. It's been lovely talking to you. Hey, wasn't that cool? Amazing story and I wanted to share with you my epic takeouts from the interview with Di. Number one, be brave and focus on a niche. A female-only offering sounds like you're cutting out 49% of the market, but being specialised has given Firmwood a very powerful point of difference in a crowded industry. Number two, controversy can be a great brand builder. Being taken to the Equal Opportunity Board for sex discrimination sounds a bit scary, but for Fernwood, it delivered them more PR than they could ever buy. Epic takeout number three, invest in expertise. Di knew in the early days she wanted to franchise, but she didn't try and do it on her own. She went to the best franchising experts, and even today, after being in business for over 30 years, I can tell you Di is an avid and curious learner. I often see her at seminars. Uh, it's worth spending the money in people who know more about a subject than you do. It could be expensive up front, but it could save you much more in the long run. Well, now it's time for this week's 
epic health hack segment and this week I wanted to find out the best way to use exercise as a de-stress. You know when you've had those high pressure weeks where you feel like you're a complete ball of stress ready to explode? We know that exercise is good for stress but what type of exercise is better to de-stress? Is it a calming yoga class, a jog in nature or completely smashing it out in a boxing class? Well today I have recruited our favourite exercise scientist and nutritionist Amelia Phillips to help us answer that question. Hi, Amelia. Hi, Amanda. Hey, great to have you on today. What You're the best person to answer this question, I think. What are the best <laughs> exercises to de-stress? <laughs> uh, look, it's great. I mean, any exercise is going to help you de-stress, but there are definitely different types that will elicit a slightly different response. So uh, let's start with what we call steady state training, which are things like going for a power walk, a jog, a swimming, bike riding. What's great about those types of exercise is that they're really good if your brain is just overwhelmed with information. You've got alphabet soup and you almost need like a moving meditation. So I would definitely recommend that if you kind of have that brain drain and you're feeling overwhelmed. You can even put a mantra into those types of steady state. If you're feeling quite stressed, you can have three words, for example, you know, I am love, I am calm, I am free to help you. Another type, very grounding type of exercise uh, is things like yoga. And they're great if you've got emotional stress. So say you feel really hurt by something or overwhelmed by something, that will yoga will give you a very grounding feeling. And the great thing with yoga is stress can be carried in our muscles. And so when we stretch our muscles and we're releasing that tension, it's actually having a hormonal trigger to help us release the stress hormones as well. Uh, and then the final kind is that um, explosive type of training like you mentioned the boxing think of sprints um high interval in, uh, high intensity interval training that's another one as well and that's really good if you're feeling kind of aggro and you're feeling like you, that ball of stress you're talking about but if you are chronically stressed so one of those people that may be carrying a bit of extra body fat and you have high blood pressure you've got that chronic stress i wouldn't recommend that high intensity um, because it can actually uh, you know increase your body's stress particularly on your cardiovascular system and particularly if you're stressed and tired i'm i'm assuming that that high intensity exercise would create fatigue which then can then i guess exacerbate stress Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing I did want to ask Amelia is about the end of the workout. Is there an important or a particular way that we should finish a workout to really maximize the stress relief benefits? No matter what you do, Amanda, it's actually the cool down that's the most important part of your workout when it comes to stress. You've heard all the of the flight or fight response, haven't you? Yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, so so basically at the end of this primitive response, you've either fought the saber-toothed tiger or you've run away from it, you need to tell signal to your body that you are safe and that is the cool down of the workout so always leave about three to three to ten minutes to lay down on your back ideally um, to help your spine fill up with fluid and to do some really deep breathing and some lovely gentle stretches that what that will do is actually trigger your parasympathetic nervous system to release all these great feel-good hormones that will calm you down so you know when you take a deep breath 
Mm. take an even deeper breath. So think that you're filling your lungs up all the way. Just go that little bit deeper, you know, maybe um, maybe three seconds in, five seconds out and do about eight to ten of those. And you mentioned stretching. I know that for me, stretching um, hasn't been, I've been a bit lazy on stretching, I'll admit. Um, But I have been doing a lot more stretching at the end of particularly high Mm -hmm. intensity workout. And I've really noticed the difference in terms of how I feel afterwards. Absolutely. And that whole thing about carrying tension in your muscles is 100% true. And so what happens over time is that those muscles become this ball of tension. And when a muscle is tight and locked, the blood supply into that part of the muscle is diminished. And so there's a lot of toxins. um, And what happens is that builds up in your body and that contributes to that feeling of being tight and stressed. So release that it's creating this beautiful blood supply into hard-to-reach parts of your muscle and that will also release those uh, those feel-good hormones as well. Awesome. Thanks for that, Amelia. Uh, no worries. We will hear back from you on next week's episode. And so if you are feeling stressed this week, you have some great health hacks. And, of course, for more of those hacks, visit Amelia at ameliaphillips.com.au or download her podcast, Healthy Her. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Epic Podcast. I hope that you're feeling inspired to go and do, create or manifest something epic in your life. And if you're feeling inspired, perhaps give this episode an epic share on your favourite socials. I would be epically grateful. I'm Amanda Stevens, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Epic Podcast.